Stories Bigger Than Texas, The Alamo Podcast. A British rock star who became one of the largest collectors of Alamo artifacts in the world. This is a, a very special day for me because I've had a love affair with this place since I was about five years old. In honor of Phil Collins and his upcoming birthday on January 30th, today we reveal how he became so fascinated by the Alamo, take you behind the scenes of his many visits to the Shrine of Texas Liberty, and the legacy this British music legend leaves upon the Alamo City. I'm your host, Emily Balkum. Ernesto Rodriguez, the Alamo senior curator, historian, and lecturer is back with us. Thanks for being here, Ernesto. Thank you for having me. And as you might have guessed from the intro, we are going to be playing excerpts from Phil Collins, in his own words, talking about the Alamo and his collection of artifacts. Ernesto, this is something we hear at the Alamo every single day. Phil Collins, the British rock star, what does he have to do with the Alamo? So tell us, what is his Alamo origin story? His origin story starts like many others with the television show, Walt Disney's television show, I should say, Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. And he's watching it as a young boy and um, enjoying the story to the point that he would play Battle of the Alamo while his friends were playing cowboys. He basically thought that he was the only person in England that really loved the story of the Alamo. As he grew up, he would later learn that it's an international event that many, many people still study. Here's Phil Collins reflecting on his childhood love of the Alamo. For me, it was just something that stuck with me. And, and you know, I come from London, so we have lots of history there. Why I didn't get as fascinated by something in English history, I'll never know. It's, uh, it's one of those things that it's fascinating because of the fact that he is right in the fact that there's a lot of history there. And I may be biased because I'm working at the Alamo and I lived in San Antonio. And uh, I understand why he would want to study the Alamo because it is, it's an international story that affects many people at different points because it can re you can relate to the universal theme of it. A group of men fighting against overwhelming odds. But Phil Collins has another childhood passion, music. He started playing the drums at the age of five, goes to drama school, performs on the West End in London, joins Genesis and becomes a bona fide rock star. And eventually those two passions, music and the Alamo, converge when Genesis goes on tour here in the United States. Yes, yes they do. But his passion for music is really interesting because if I recall correctly, the first competition that he ever competed in, he sang the Ballad of David Crockett, and um, he won. So that love for the Alamo actually spills into his music career. That first visit to the Alamo in 1973, he had three days off with Peter Gabriel and his tour manager. Yes, he did, and um, they made a decision, and uh, each one would pick a place to visit. And I know it's hard to believe, but Phil picked the Alamo. Phil Collins describes that moment in his own words. But I was just spellbound when I first saw it in person. You know, having lived all my life, just seeing it in books, in movies, and in pic you know, pictures in magazines, it was really uh, quite extraordinary. The way he describes it, you can see a glimmer in his eyes because it's a fulfillment of basically a bucket list item. And to see it in person for the first time 
was an emotional event, as it is for many people when they see it for the first time. But for Phil, it was uh, just the beginning. And it would be the beginning of a journey that would let, lead him into the collector's world. That was in 1973. About 10 years later, Phil Collins remembers the first time he saw an Alamo-related artifact. In the mid-80s, I was on tour, and I was in Washington, D.C., and I was walking through a shop that sold autographed documents, and I came across a letter written by Davy Crockett. And I was stunned that this actually was his handwriting, and this letter was written by him probably when he was... Uh, a congressman. Imagine that. Davy Crockett, his hero in this Walt Disney series, then he gets to hold a document with his handwriting. Yeah, it's a very emotional thing, but it's not the start of his collecting, but it puts it on his radar. And that's the thing that's really important. He saw something in person that belonged to someone that he had admired since childhood, and it would start a small spark in the background of his life to, in the future, to seek out items, but it wasn't time yet. In fact, the first artifact in his collection was actually a gift. Yes, it was. It was a gift, and it was a small piece of paper, and it's a saddle receipt for John W. Smith. And from the time he held that, it sparked his true collecting, and he really starts going after anything and everything Texas Revolution-related. And it's an amazing collection that he puts together. Phil Collins now reflecting on the importance of that first artifact. One person that, that fascinated me and continues to fascinate me, as there is no image of him, is John W. Smith, who was the main courier that went in and out of the Alamo quite a few times. I was fascinated by this little piece of paper that was a, the receipt for a saddle that had done so many miles with him as a courier. There's a clairvoyant I met once who claimed that I was he. I don't buy that. But uh, nevertheless, you know, it's just something that my, my interest was triggered. So much to unpack there. First of all, Phil Collins has a great sense of humor. Secondly, you can see how into the story he is with John W. Smith. That is a name that even most Texans don't know. Yep, that's true. Many Texans don't know about John W. Smith and the fact that he is a, not only a courier, but later will be a mayor of San Antonio. He's a very important figure. And uh, Phil's passion shows because of the fact that he knows the story in depth, which is not just you know glossing over important things and figures. No, he has read, he's done research, and so... When he talks about the Alamo story, you can tell that he's a passionate individual when it comes to this theme or this story, this tale, and he can actually make the connections that the average visitor cannot. He speaks about going deeper than the myth, the legend. Yes, he does, and it's through reading, and uh, he loves to read about the story, the Alamo, and it's uh, like most of us that deal with this topic. We love to read about it. We love to read first-hand accounts, things written by the people that were here at the battle or after the battle or before the battle because everything is connected. And Phil understands that concept of all history is connected. 
this very first artifact in his collection, this receipt for a saddle. You can see it at the Alamo exhibit at the Ralston Family Collection Center. Yes, you can. If you come, if you come visit us, it is on the second floor, and you can see this little strip of paper, which is, while it's small in nature, it's large in what it brought to us. Because from there, it's on. Phil Collins gets the collecting bug. Where did he find all these artifacts, and how did he authenticate them? A lot of the items that he found were through auction houses. And so he was going, getting uh, things from many of the larger auction houses. And then he had people that were out there purchasing for him as well. So there are people looking for artifacts. A lot of the stories that he gets are stories from the owners of these things. And so he starts doing research on many of them. But others, you have to basically take the person's word of mouth. And so you have to take that leap of faith on some of the items. And he does. And so what we're doing now is we're going back and we're looking at everything and trying to track the, the trails of many of the artifacts so that we can tell a full story using the item. And he made a lot of friends in San Antonio, most notably the shop owners around the Alamo. Yes, he made a, those are some of his closer friends were the people that ran the little shops that sold um, history items. And it's such a, an interesting thing because one of them he would actually put a model that he purchased inside of the structure of one of the little shops. And uh, that model is now at the Ralston Family Collection Center for people to see. He is one of those people that his personality and his love, not only for history, but for his fan base, is such an incredible thing to witness. He loves talking to people, and he's very down-to-earth. And it's one of those, he's one of those people that when you talk to him, it's personal. He makes you feel close to him. Even if it's an individual he meets for the first time, he will make you feel like he's your friend because in a way you are his friend. And one of the important things about Phil is that he's never forgotten how he got to where he's at. And that's through his fans. And so that's the connection between him and another important Texan to the Alamo story, Fess Parker. Fess Parker, who played Davy Crockett, was the same way. He would talk to all of his fans, and he said at one time when he came to visit in 2004, Fess Parker told us, these people that are stopping and talking to me are the reason I'm here, and I will never forget that. They are important to me because they are the ones that put me in the position that I could do what I love, which was not only acting, but also having a vineyard. So Phil's the same way. He never forgets his fan base. He had the music, and then he had the Alamo collection. Yes, he did. And he visits the Alamo quite a bit during this time. I've heard stories of him having lunch in the Alamo Rangers break room with all the officers. What are your memories of working with him? I've known him for a long time, and I've had the pleasure of just hanging out with him, talking history. We don't talk music. We talk history. And so when the collection was being uh, prepared to come to San Antonio, I would meet with him often, and we would talk about the collection. We would talk about things we both read. It's with that connection with the history side because it joins us. Music is fantastic, but he was here basically on vacation, and so we talked about what he wanted to talk about, which is 
also one of my passions. So we, we dealt a lot with that. We also would have lunch a lot together while we were working on this. And he is just a wonderful individual with such a great caring heart because of the fact that he made a decision for that collection to come here. He didn't have to do that, but yet he said it belongs at the Alamo. And I had the privilege and honor of working with him to make that happen. Did he stay nearby? Did he eat at local restaurants? Yes, he does. He stays when he comes, he stays nearby. I would tell you where, but we're going to keep that quiet. Yeah, classified. And he would eat at local restaurants. He would eat a, a lot of times. One of the things that I remember they would order for him were enchiladas. And he would eat the enchiladas. And he loves enchiladas. You know, I, I don't blame him. Most I of do them too. Do. <laughs> and uh, so he would, he would eat enchiladas a lot. And so one of the places that they would frequent is no longer here. And, and that's El Mirador. And so they would go there often. He loves San Antonio. He loves it. And it's just wonderful to have someone that comes in and loves not only the place you work, but loves the community that you live in. Just soaking up the culture here. Yes. And uh, one of the fun parts is that um, he would show up and uh, come to visit because he would visit often. And most people don't recognize him. That's just what I was going to ask. Did anyone notice this world famous rock star walking around? No. And, and the reason is that, you know, he doesn't travel with a huge entourage. He travels with, with a friend and he's very low key. Few people recognize him. And so when he would, when he would travel, sometimes when they did recognize him, then um, he would stop and talk to everybody. And so his visit would turn into a really long visit because once people find out he is here, everyone wants to talk to him and he wants to talk to them too. And so it's just wonderful to see the interactions. And I've been privileged enough to have interactions in private with him, something that most people don't get the opportunity to. And you get to see the person behind the music. And that person is just like you and me. Where was he storing all these artifacts he was collecting? I've heard you describe custom-built cases at his home. Yes, he had a... It was all in his uh, chateau in Switzerland. He had the items displayed as you would display them in a museum. And so he finally said at one point, I want other people to enjoy them as much as I do. And he started the quest of finding a place. And we were lucky enough that we became the place. You know, I will always thank Phil for everything that he's did for us. And I continue to thank him for everything that he continues to do for us. His collecting was uh, the driving force for where we're moving on today. With the Alamo plan moving forward. Yes, and it's because he basically made it possible for people to see the need that the Alamo had for a larger space to tell a full story. And it's because of Phil. And his passion for collecting, his passion for the Alamo that made it possible for us to look to the future and now move full steam ahead to a greater, better Alamo. It all became official in June 2014 when Phil Collins donated his entire collection of artifacts to the state of Texas, bringing them back home to the Alamo. Ernesto, you were there. What's your insight into what that moment meant to him? It was, uh, he was very, very happy, and, and I can tell you that we were all very honored that he selected us. He did the entire media thing, but he was also here for the delivery of the first batch of 
artifacts. They came in two shipments. There's a time when you can see him, and I see him in my in. I remember it because I was there, but there's also, you see him on images, but he was standing outside watching them unload the crates. And it's one of those things that you can see how happy he is. And he's also a little, you can see a little torn because this is something that he loved. And uh, he's giving it up. It arrived, and I remember the crates came in, and we started unpacking them. We had a big media day, and uh, he talked to all the reporters, and he showed some of the items that he really loved. It was a special a special time at the Alamo because it put us in a position where we could display artifacts and documents that tell a broader story of the Texas Revolution. There are photos on the walls of the Alamo exhibit at the Ralston Family Collection Center of him supervising the unloading process. And what strikes me about them is that if you didn't know that was Phil Collins, rock star, he just looks like a regular guy. Yep. And um, one of the fun parts was he was talking to the crew that was unloading the trucks. He was talking to our rangers. He was talking to us. And it was one of those really intimate processes that you don't see that often. And because that's what that collection meant to him. It was a personal story. And so he wanted to be part of every aspect. And it was fun. We had a blast. Here's Phil Collins on that day in June 2014 describing the moment the donation was suggested to him. I was like a dog with two tails, as they say in England. I just could not believe it that the exact place where my collection should be housed, should live, is the place where it came from. There's things that I have that have never been back here since the day they left. Since the day they left. That is powerful. Yes, it is. His uh, collection, one of the things about the collection is that it helps to explain a lot of the things that happened during the Texas Revolution. And there's another little strip of paper that's really fascinating. And it's a receipt for the cattle that are brought into the Alamo, signed by Travis. He bought the cattle from Ignacio Perez. And if you read the letter, it doesn't say he bought the cattle, but he actually did. And so you look at that going like, wow, you learned something from this because now you're holding a receipt for cattle that are listed on one of the most important documents written from the Alamo. And it's just an amazing thing. In the PS, the postscript to Travis's victory or death letter, he describes the purchase of the cattle. Yes, he does. And so now we have that receipt. And so it shows that there's a com- it's a community effort. He bought it from Ignacio Perez, which is a, another thing you can talk about. The ranches in San Antonio and around us that were so huge that they were able to pro- provide cattle for not just one army, but two. So Phil Collins is helping fill in the blanks of the story. Yes, he is. A short time after the donation, the Texas legislature named Phil Collins an honorary Texan. Yes, they did. They had a big ceremony in Austin, and Phil was there, and the general land office was there, and everybody else was there. If you look at the images from that, you can see how happy he was to be basically made a a citizen of our state, a state that he's loved since childhood. In 2027, the Alamo Visitor Center and Museum will display the full Phil Collins collection. But in the meantime, like we've said, many of his artifacts are on display right now in the Alamo exhibit. What are some of the can't-miss artifacts? Some of the can't-miss artifacts are uh, the cavalry helmet, 
one of Santana's swords, and then the documents that are on the second floor. Those are the documents are really fascinating because you have the person's soul in it. And there's a wonderful document from David Crockett, and he's complaining about President Andrew Jackson, and he called him King Andrew. And when you see that, you're like, wow, someone's using the written word to attack the president, and he's calling him king. A man that fought against the British is now being called a king. So it's a fascinating collection, and the documents are just wonderful. You know, and so are the artifacts, because not only do you have knives, swords, guns, but you have a little piece of Texas history that most people won't be able to see outside of the Alamo. And it's a, you know, we are privileged to have it here. Phil Collins describes what he wants visitors to take away. There was brave men on both sides of that wall and this collection would help to tell that story. So it's not just Texas history. No, it's, uh, it's Mexican history, Texas history. It's an international history because this event happens on a world stage. There has been speculation that some of his artifacts cannot be authenticated. Can you right here, right now, explain what we know about the artifacts that are in question? What we do know about the artifacts that are in question is that we need to do more research. And we have been. We're doing research on many of these items. Some of the items will help us to tell a different story. And it's the perils of collecting. And so, like most collections, there's going to be some items that you have to look at and study longer. And his collection is no different. The problem is people focus more on the negative than on the positive. And it's a very, very, very tiny percentage of items that we question. When you have a collection of over 400 items and you have a couple that are questionable, that should not deter you from admiring the collection as a whole. It's such an incredible thing. His collection is fantastic, and I, I am privileged enough to work directly with it. So I have firsthand knowledge of the collection. And every time I look at it, I think about the fact that Phil decided that he wanted to give us his great gift. And I will never forget that. And it's one of those things that not only did he give the Alamo gift, but I've been privileged enough to have the gift of friendship with Phil. And we've talked about his collection. We've talked about the items that he's collecting. He still wants to collect because he loves the Alamo so much. It's a passionate story with him, like it is with most of us. I look at his collection as a whole, and I don't focus on one item. I focus on all of it. So your work as a historian, as a researcher, it's not static. No, it's not. It changes. We learn something new every day. And so the minute you stop learning is the minute you're no longer here. You just said how many artifacts total are in the collection. Can you put a price on the collection? When it was donated, it was about $14 million. Now it's up probably a lot higher because of the fact that these items are very rare. So... It can be anywhere up to $20 million donation. So it's changed over the years because of the insured. That's what it was insured for by him. Tell us about his book called The Alamo and Beyond, A Collector's Journey. It's for sale in the Alamo gift shop. So A Collector's Journey is this wonderful book in which you can take a, you basically take a trip with Phil. 
and he shows you how he collected. And he talks about each item. And if you read the book, it gives you a better understanding of the collection and the way he sees it. And he tells you in some of these things, I was told it was this. It may not be that, but I would love to believe that it is. So he actually makes a statement in his collecting that some of the items, we will never be too sure if they were actually at a particular place, but they are, for the most part, actual pieces from the period. And so he explains it, and when you read it through from his point of view, it's very interesting because you can see how passionate he is about his collecting and his collection. Phil Collins turns 73 years old next Tuesday, January 30th. Do you have a birthday message you'd like to share with him, your friend? Yes, I would like to wish Phil the happiest of birthdays and many more to come, and I hope to be able to see him in person and give him a hug because um, I've known him a long time, and we're actually, you know, I feel, I feel close to him. But it's also we're connected. We're connected through a story that breaks all boundaries, and it's a story of mankind fighting against overwhelming odds. And Phil has done the same thing in his life. You know, growing up as a young boy, I don't think he ever knew that he would be such a gigantic rock star as he did become. So he's broken boundaries in his own right. And uh, I wish him the happiest of birthdays. And I can't wait to see him here in San Antonio so that he can experience the Ralston Family Collection Center in person. He was a kid from a neighborhood in London. You were a kid from the west side of San Antonio, and this story bonds you. Yep, we're both living the dream. Ernesto Rodriguez, thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check out the podcast notes. You've heard some of the excerpts, but we've linked to the full speech and press conference Phil Collins gave when he made his generous donation to the state of Texas. It's a great listen, highly recommended. We've also linked to Phil Collins' book that you can buy straight from the Alamo gift shop. You've been listening to Stories Bigger Than Texas, the Alamo podcast. Oh, 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 oh